Hey, how's it going? My name is Alec Berg, and this is Psychotronicast. Joining me, as always, is Derek Estes from an undisclosed location via satellites. You can and you should subscribe to us on whatever social media and podcast platform that you listen and watch us on. And you should subscribe to our Patreon for $5 a month. You will get a bonus episode every time we record a free episode that you're listening to right now, for example. Uh, For instance, our Patreon this week will be all of our favorite Halloween horror movie discoveries that we've made this past month, um, scouring the world for uh, any new film that I'm, this is such a bad intro, I'm sorry. Okay, (laughs) let's just get out of it and moving on without further ado, Derek, what the hell are you getting us into? (laughs) <laughs> um, so this is one I've been meaning to do for quite a while, but uh, this seemed like the, the right time. So we're going to do uh, the very first three Frankenstein films, like the Universal, James Whale, Boris Karloff Frankenstein films. Um, and I just, I love these movies and I have for a long time. And I just wanted to kind of throw things back to some sort of like foundational horror films. And I think these are... Um, of the big universal monsters, I think that these three films are the the best uh, three of of that whole era. So, um, yeah, I, I guess before we kind of get in, like, had you you hadn't seen any of these, right? Oh no, I've seen none of them. But it's interesting watching. It's only the original that it happened, but watching the original Frankenstein. I had definitely seen clips. Like I'd seen yeah. the 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 flower scene with the girl, and I'd seen, of course, the "It's Alive," and I believe one other thing that I can't think of off the top of my head. But everything else was completely new to me. Although I did see young Frankenstein, <laughs> uh, Mel Brooks's uh, Frankenstein spoof, uh, like countless times growing up, and especially Son of Frankenstein. That's basically what they're going for. Yeah, so, totally. It was really cool, especially watching Son of Frankenstein. I'm like, I I wish we had more time before recording this. I would have probably watched Young Frankenstein just to talk about it. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a Patreon. Oh yeah, but um, no, it's, it's, it's great. One of the things I love about really Young Frankenstein is you know the fact that it's a, a great like um, you know kind of like send up, but it's also so lovingly made. Where it's like it's definitely made by people who know their shit um, and know the movies really well. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I guess we'll talk about you know as we get into it. That's kind of interesting is how much, um, like, I don't know if you caught this or felt this, but how much of the humor is actually inherent in the actual movies, um, that they almost do half the work for Mel Brooks, even get, getting it there. Um, cause there's just so much, there's so much stuff, especially in, um, Bride and Frankenstein and Son of Frankenstein in particular, um, are both really funny movies. Um, the second one, especially I got, I got some funny vibes. I got, oh Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I also purposely did almost no research after watching these films, like I usually do, because I expected you to just oh yeah, I can do nothing I can but like undump, undump the notebook of knowledge from your brain that you've been holding on to for however <laughs> many years on these three films. So I just want to like be a student of the game and just sit back and listen, which I'm sure the the listener at home is stoked on that they're probably not going to hear my voice for like 80 percent of this pod (laughs) so i'm just going to let the chef cook all right go for it perfect well so i guess um talking about this uh in the area that it was made uh universal was kind of like a they 
they weren't totally like a poverty row studio, but they were of modest kind of size. They'd been around for quite a while. And there was a period when Carl Lemley, who owned the studio, for his son, Junior, his 21st birthday, he basically gave him the reins of the studio. Um, And so at that point, Junior Lemley was trying all sorts of like really wild things. There was a really cool movie they dumped a fortune into called The King of Jazz. And it was this kind of like huge Technicolor spectacle musical that had Paul Whitefield and his orchestra and <clears throat> pardon me, like a, a lot of um, you know, different like jazz musicians. There's so much stuff going on in that movie. Unfortunately, it came out a little bit too late and already at this point, like musicals had kind of, um, you know, been oversaturated for the first couple of years of sound. They lost a ton of m- money on it. Then um, they made All Quiet on the Western Front, which is this big prestige film that won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um, but they were still like really kind of like on the skids. Um, things kind of turned around in the beginning of 1931 when they released Dracula. It was Todd Browning, um, who was a, you know, a classic like silent film director. He'd done a lot of horror movies with Lon Chaney. Um, and it's one of his first sound films. It did, you know, dynamite box office, but it's kind of like a, a, a tough movie. I think that, uh, it's sort of based on the, the book, but it's mostly based off of a popular play that was running around that time. Uh, so you get to the first like 20, 30 minutes of the movie are really atmospheric. They're, you know, it's really engaging. You get like Bela Lugosi, uh, you get Dwight Fry, uh, who also appears in Frankenstein. Uh, it's Fritz, uh, the kind of assistant. Um, and it's really great. Then after like the 30 minute mark, it turns into kind of like a very stage bound just high, very talky movie. I like guess really boring, pretty fast. Um, and it's weird because, you know, the sound is pretty lousy in 1931. Um, it'd be a couple more years before they really got that up and going. And then uh, there's just so much stuff wasted where the people are talking about interesting things that are happening off screen. Some stuff was done because they were worried about censors. Um, and that, that movie was also cut a little bit. Um, but it kind of, eh, it, it doesn't hold up as well. I mean, it's still interesting to watch. I just rewatched it the other day. Um, but it made, you know, quite a bit of money for Universal and they were really excited. So Junior Lemley wanted to put forward another movie pretty fast. Um, and so they had the, the rights to Frankenstein. Again, they also used a bit of the novel and a bit of another stage play. Uh, that was also really popular in the twenties based on Frankenstein. And it was all kind of being put together by, um, Robert Flory, who was this other kind of, uh, popular Germanic director who had come. Bela Lugosi was potentially going to come back and play the monster, and there was kind of it was going to be a little bit more German expressionistic, and they had kind of a different idea of what they were going to do with the movie. That all changed when James Whale kind of became attached. He had been doing a lot of uh, like theater work, and he had been brought into Hollywood to kind of elevate a lot of those early talky films. He mostly did stuff that were dealt with like World War One. He'd done a big uh, movie called Journey's End. Uh, they had a lot of cast members that he. Um, would use and pepper through his films. And he became, you know, interested in doing Frankenstein. So at that point, Universal just like gave him the whole fucking, you know, like rights to do whatever he wanted with it. And he adjusted quite a few things. Uh, he ended up discovering, you know, I guess rediscovering Boris Karloff, who'd been acting for years and years, but he was just mostly kind of a character actor. And, you know, the biggest thing he'd done, I think, before this is he's in a Howard Hawks movie called The Criminal Code. Um, I haven't seen that one for years, but I mostly just remember there's a 
kind of suspenseful scene where he's giving um, Walter Houston a straight razor raise or uh, shave in this prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he's also uh, James Whale. People might know if they've seen like the movie Gods and Monsters. He was famously like an out gay director at the time. And he mostly kind of kept himself surrounded by other gay men, a lot of like gay Englishmen. <laughs> and you'll notice, especially as the movies go on, there's definitely um, a queer gay sensibility that runs through uh, to the point that you're almost, it's weird that they got away with as much as they did, especially for yeah. Frankenstein, because that one came out after, you know, there's kind of like the code, like the Prussian code. It was in existence, but people talk about the pre-code era. And that was the era basically when sound came in and before the middle of 1934, when they really started enforcing the code. Um, and it had, there's lots of do's and don'ts that you couldn't you know, have doing film. And we, during the pre-code era, um, people kept kind of pushing those boundaries to the points that you would have, um, you know, even like, you know, nudity and violence and, um, you know, just subject matter that was really kind of off color or scandalous. Um, it, it was the beginning of the depression too, just trying to get people in the theaters. So the first Frankenstein, um, I, I just love this movie. I actually, I think I love these movies the more I watch them. Um, I grew up with them and I, I, Liked him at the time, though I thought they were some parts were a little boring. But I feel that even a lot of that stuff is kind of like worn off for me. Um, but I think even the opening of this movie is just really like beautiful, even with the crazy like it's almost completely set bound. Um, and you'll even know, yeah, yeah. And some of I was the, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was gonna uh, put in for a second. Yeah, it's funny that the queer element I could totally pick it up. In the second film, big time, like oh, especially yeah. with uh, uh, Pictorious. Yeah, Doctor so Pictorious. You're just like this guy, and uh, I feel like he can be chilling with um, the dude from Island of the Lost Souls. Oh, absolutely! It's funny. Like they're homie. They're homies for sure. And yeah. then, um, uh, not like I don't mean like Preston Sturge is the actor. I just mean like uh, Doctor Moreau and Pictorious, like the the characters themselves are just like they're in some bathhouse together talking about their crazy scientific bullshit. Oh yeah. But, uh, yeah, the other one was, um, and I completely lost the thread after that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So never mind as you were. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. But I mean, I love, um, the atmosphere of this movie. Like it's, <gasps> sorry. Um, All right. I'm oh, sorry. I'll, yeah. I'll bust it. This is it. This was, what I was going to say, I'm so sorry. Uh, now I totally understand what Mario Bava was doing with Black Sunday. Oh, totally. Like he's totally doing like his Frankenstein or whatever. Like, or is it Black Sunday or is it Black Sabbath? I always forget. Uh, Black Sunday. Well, it's funny. Black Sabbath has Karloff in it, but uh, yeah, Black okay, Sunday. Okay, so it is Black Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. it totally because like the the atmosphere and everything in the in the first Frankenstein and part of the second Frankenstein. I'm like, this is like Mario Bava. It's oh, yeah. insane. So yeah, anyway, really that's, that's like, the first thing that I wrote down for my notes. But oh, okay. yeah, well, it, you'll it. even see like the kind of cyclorama they have for the sky. It's kind of like wrinkled and, you know, it's it's very obviously artificial, um, but it's just very like it's so cinematic and just so just really interesting. I love that whole graveyard set. It's just really beautiful when they go and there's the, uh, you know, they had like you know, 
finding the body parts that they're going to put together. Um, and all of that, I think, is just, like, really beautifully made. And I love Dwight Fry, who plays Fritz, the assistant. Um, he's just such a great – he was one of the best parts of Dracula. Um, and he kind of – it's funny. He does kind of come back a little bit in the movies, even though his character dies in this movie. Um, and he's just so great and just has this kind of very feral, like, kind of mad thing about him. Love it. Um, so you get, like, you know, a lot of – the kind of this early stuff, then you kind of cut back to it's weird. This, this movie also takes place, I guess I'll talk about the, uh, the time period is very ambiguous. Uh, there's a lot of things that are kind of like modern in the film, especially when you start dealing with some of the other characters like Mae Clark uh, is Elizabeth. Uh, she's totally like a 1930s beauty, her clothes and her hair is like the Marcel waves. And, um, and then, but they're also in like Eastern Europe. So there's a lot of stuff that seems you know, um, almost medieval. Uh, it's something to kind of like play with a lot in uh, in these movies where it's this kind of like this weird no man's land, both in where it is geographically, but also in time. It's this really unique um, world that is existing. Um, so Mae Clark, she's like her, her whole thing is kind of boring to me. Like, uh, she had kind of an interesting career. She's mostly known for this movie. And then she's the woman in the public enemy that James Cagney smashes the grapefruit into her face. Um, she'd worked with uh, James Whale, director of James Whale with uh, on Waterloo Brid- bridge, like right before this. Um, yeah. And then her, and then it's funny because they changed the main. So Frankenstein, uh, he's named Henry Frankenstein in this movie, though in the book and in most other versions, he's Victor Frankenstein. But they thought... Yeah, that, that's what I know from. Yeah. So it's weird. They thought that the name Victor was too severe and maybe not American enough, even though it's played by an Englishman. So they name him Henry. But to make things confusing, they end up naming Elizabeth's, like, the guy who's kind of into her and her friend. He's named Victor. It's very kind of like a weird thing they have. Um but yeah, so they end up basically you jump forward a little bit. They create the monster and all of that stuff, like the the lab scene is like so cool. The guy who created a lot of the um, the technology in there is this guy, Kenneth Strickland, uh, Strickbadden. And he, you know, created a lot of the stuff. And he also had a lot of these like really weird, um, like scientific apparatuses. He even had like a Tesla, Tesla coil and, um yeah so he helped like design that whole set and it's just so cinematic and just so memorable i mean it's constantly being like uh you know reused repeated and referenced and one of the last movies that he worked on is actually young frankenstein because mel brooks discovered that he was um he was still alive and he had all the equipment in his garage like in santa monica wherever he lived and actually in young frankenstein is the only movie he actually gets credit uh, his machinery was used in tons and tons of movies, but uh, yeah, only on Young Frankenstein does he have a special credit uh, on there. Speaking of credits, I do love um, when they're doing the introduction and it's like the monster question mark. Yeah, totally. It's great. And speaking of the monster, some of that, like the uh, the makeup, which is now like so iconic, you say Frankenstein and people instantly get that image of like the the gray pallor with the flat top head and uh, the electrodes in the, in the neck and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, all of, all of that. It was, uh, they even used it. Like it even made it more famous in like the monsters that oh, yeah. sitcom from the fifties and sixties. Like they were even using it then. And then the, um, that was also like a really 
big tattoo to get in the hardcore scene in the early 2000s or whatever. There was like that band Converge and they did the Jane Doe album. So everyone had like that Jane Doe tattoo on him, but also the Karloff Frankenstein was screen printed on like so many shirts. Oh, and like yeah. I've seen so many like Karloff Frankenstein tattoos, even though if the people have never seen Frankenstein before, it's just something with the image. It's almost like the fiend skull, the misfits fiend skull that it's just like, lived on in this like subculture for um, punk rock music or hardcore music or whatever you want to call it. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's so great. Right now my brain is just not working, but um, the guy who invented the makeup, he, Oh, Jack Pierce, he um, it's like, they have a, a, you know, the book Frankenstein has been in the public domain forever. Cause it's like 200 years old now. Yeah. Um, and, but the Jack Pierce makeup is still, it's owned by universal years later in like the fifties, when hammer started remaking a lot of these movies, um, they weren't able to use, they eventually got to a agreement with universal, but they weren't able to use the Jack Pierce makeup. Um, apparently it will go, it'll be part of the, um, public domain in like 2026. So in about six years, then you can use it all you want. Um, but it's, so when they, beautiful. when they remaster and reshoot, um, the instant classic Robert De Niro Frankenstein, they can finally put the right makeup on his face. Yeah, totally. Have you seen his makeup or have you seen that movie? I've never seen that movie. It's such dog shit. I mean, I this I saw that years ago and I'm never going to rewatch it again, but I was just going back through IMDb just to be like, I forgot what Robert De Niro looked like as Frankenstein or as the monster from Frankenstein. And I mean, it's trust. It's worth a gander to look on IMDb. I don't want to give anything away, but like, just like go, it's like five or six or seven images in on IMDb under Frankenstein, and it's so bad. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. so bad. And Helen Baum Gardner as the bride of Frankenstein is so bad. It's yeah, I don't know. Crazy. It almost looks like an SNL sketch. You're like, what the fuck is going on? For some it's reason, like if um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's like if uh, the guy, I can never think of his name, which is so terrible. The guy who did From Beyond, Stuart Gordon. Mm-hmm. It's like if Stuart Gordon was the head of makeup for SNL. <laughs> like that's yeah. what Frankenstein in 1994 looks like. Okay, that's I'm so done. crazy. Yeah, that one, it, 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 that never looked appealing to me at all. So I've, I've never seen it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not my thing. Um, but I love like the the entrance of the monster. This is the great like close-ups of him, like the kind of like the three big shots and they just go up. And I love like Karloff is so great. He's so good in this role. And it's really great with the makeup too, because the makeup is so iconic, but it still allows him to be expressive. Um, you know, in these movies, especially, you know, the first and the the third, he basically plays him totally silent. He does like grunts and stuff. Which is funny because he has one of the great voices of horror movies. I mean, it's so that his voice itself is so iconic, especially now people who know like uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas, you know, it's, it's been imitated a million times, but in this, that's his voice. That's his voice. Yeah. He, he narrates it. So yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, totally. So, you know, it's interesting that his most iconic role he's playing is a silent part. But he's able to add like so much kind of like pathos to it um, and make it very sympathetic. Like even the scene when he first sees the sunlight, you know, and he's kind of like reaching up and it's great because he is, you know, kind of like terrifying. But then he kind of almost single handedly creates this the kind of misunderstood monster that 
you know, is with us, you know, it's so eternal, at least since this period that, um, you know, it, like even like the shape of water, you know, these, they're monsters, they're horrific, but then, you know, you kind of sympathize with them where they're kind of, they stand for like the outcasts and outsiders. And he's so good at that. Um, and just what he, what he brings to, to that. Um, yeah. I, I thought watching that cause I mean, I only knew what I saw in stills or miniature clips cause I'd never seen these movies before, but I mean, Karloff is like a God, like he's so good in these. It's, oh, yeah. it's almost kind of weird that he starts cause he like talks in the second one quite a bit. And it, it kind of is almost like, um, like Terminator and Terminator two, where it's just yeah. like, I kind of liked Arnold only saying like 25 words in the first one. Like why is he like, clearly has the most dialogue in the second film. But, yeah. um, well, he like, and if he didn't want any of the, the, the dialogue at all, like he was upset with there being dialogue in the second movie. Oh, okay. In the, the book, in the original novel, uh, the monster, you know, was he, he learns to talk and he becomes ve- very articulate. So he talks and he gives these long soliloquies, um, about his plight and the situation. I think it's, it's great that they, they didn't have him as talky, um, you know, and obviously like Karloff is just, he has like one of the great faces. He's so, you know, it's such a visual performance and his costume mm-hmm. is great. Like he ended up having a lot of um, like physical problems later on because the costume weighed so much, you know, it weighed like 50 pounds or something. I think you could tell his, by the way he drags his feet. You're like, he's not even acting. That's just yeah. heavy. Yeah. Those boots, they were weighted. I think they were each 11 pounds. Um, and so there's the scene later on when he's carrying Colin Clive up to the, the windmill and James Whale made him do it over and over and they wouldn't let him use a dummy and it fucked his back up. He had to have multiple surgeries and he had problems for the rest of his life. And he's 44 when he's playing this part. Um, so, you know, he's, you know, he's already, you know, into middle age. Um, but yeah, he's, he's so dynamite in it. Uh, so wonderful. I love there's, you know, after the whole like scene where he sees the sunlight and then, you know, Fritz starts just like tormenting him with fire and just, you know, this is kind of like the early bits of like the brutality that you have in this where, um, you know, he's just being tortured and then eventually he just like hangs Fritz. But then you have the whole thing where they're also, they basically wrestle the monster down and they inject him. And even those scenes in you know, 1931, like just seeing people injected was just, it was too too upsetting for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so he ends up like, you know, doing his escaping thing. He ends up meeting with a little girl. And I love that scene. It, uh, I mean, now it's like really famous, obviously, like uh, when he meets Maria, the little girl by the water and you know, she's like floating the, the flowers. But when it first came out, the censors were really concerned about it, that it was too scary having him like throw her into the water. So what they did is they cut the scene. So, you know, have a little scene with tossing the flowers, but um, you know, she's like, Oh, there's no more flowers. What should we do? And then he reaches for her and they just cut. And then you wouldn't see anything later until, you know, after, you know, later in the movie when her father's carrying her dead body. And so it just left you, it made it even more fucked up because you don't know what. Yeah, that sounds way crazier. You're like, yeah. did he, yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, at least it shows the humanity in him that he like throws her in water and is just like, Oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Yeah. But, like, when you don't see that, you're just like, what did that fucking monster do to her? Totally. 
Yeah, it makes it yeah. way more brutal. Because also, you know, you get like, oh, he what he thinks is going on because he's kind of more childlike. And also like the actual act of it. Um, you know, it's like people throw their kids in water all the time. You just like, <laughs> like her, t- her parents should have taught her how to swim if they're going to live next to the lake. Um, True that. But yeah, like that was one of the, the scenes that was cut along with uh, the bit of dialogue that Colin Clive gives after they revived the monster initially. And he's like, now I know what it feels like to be God. Uh, mm. They edited that out. And those didn't come back until I think the 70s or 80s when they found the lost footage and then it was reinstated. So for decades, um, you know, even like the, this little scene with Maria was cut. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, love all that. At, at this point, the movie gets a little weird because I think they're condensing so much of it. The movie's only 75 minutes. And I think there was still a lot of stuff that was chopped out. Um, but you get the whole scene where Frankenstein and Elizabeth are going to get married and, then he like locks Elizabeth in the room, but of course the monster finds her and, you know, they kind of, you know, run all around and then they all, the villagers end up, uh, you know, chasing them all up to the windmill and he ends up, you know, the whole thing like burns down basically. And he's like dead. So that would have been just the total end of it. Um, but then, you know, as these movies end becoming so popular, they all end up kind of doing other stuff, like other horror movies. Uh, James Whale went on to do The Old Dark House right after this, um, which that movie, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, uh, Dr. Moreau and Pretorius hanging out because he actually cast both of them. The very first movie that Charles Lawton is in is in The Old Dark House uh, with huh. Boris Karloff, with Ernest Thessinger, with Gloria Stewart, who's also in The Invisible Man, and she was the old woman in Titanic. Um, wow. She was nominated for an Academy Award. She does a really good audio commentary for that movie too, which is crazy because she recorded it. She died at a hundred ten years ago, um, but she recorded it like in the two thousands. And she's so sharp. And then she's talking about like, oh yeah, we're, we did this movie, and she's talking about all the people, you know, the experience. And it's it's so crazy hearing a commentary to a movie from nineteen thirty two from someone who was there, just like telling little anecdotes and whatever. Um, but yeah, that movie is also really great um so then there was like the whole idea of like okay well, we should do another frankenstein movie and james whale really wasn't interested in doing it and they kept kind of like pushing for it and i think him and boris karloff had kind of been on the outs at that point too i've heard some rumors that they had maybe some sort of sexual thing and then had a falling out or whatever but it, it, they could also be like just old hollywood gossip so mm-hmm. they end up getting to it and but james whale at this point he'd done i think he already done showboat and he was a he was a name uh and he had a lot of clout so he made a lot of his own demands of what he wanted to do with the movie like he wanted to add the um the little prologue to the movie where you have um elsa lanchester who is the bride of frankenstein and she's also the wife of charles lawton in real life uh but she plays mary shelley and she's you know, hanging out with like Percy Shelley and Lord Byron because the story uh, when Frankenstein was originally written in like 1816, it was all um, over like a weekend with it was Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley, his wife, who is like a teenager. She was like 16 or 17 or something. Um, Lord Byron and then his like companion and they all were stuck in. Um, the chateau during the storm, and they decided to like tell little stories. 
Percy Shelley and Lord Byron were the the big known actor writers, um, and they were you know a really big deal. But then their stories didn't do anything. But Mary Shelley, this teenager, she ends up writing Frankenstein, becomes this huge thing. Um, Polidori, who was Lord Byron's like companion, he ended up writing um, this book called The Vampire that was really influential and later influenced like Carmela and also Dracula. Um, so he starts Frankenstein basically like there, you know, they're already talking about Frankenstein and, and she kind of gives her a little idea about, um, you know, pretty people with dirty thoughts and, you know, these things. And it's almost, it's not quite, but it almost has this kind of tinge of feminism, you know, this kind of feminist twist to it, you know, where, you know, she's kind of just considered this, this little weakling, but you know, really she has, um, all this power in her. This is really cool. And then you kind of jump ahead and it's interesting because she's telling this story, but then the story that we're watching is in the future from what we're seeing. Um, it's, it gets really weird with the, the, the time structure. And I also love that it's just this little flourish that they never go back to. Like we don't end, there's no coda of seeing Mary Shelley. We just have this little like introduction and then this, the movie just goes on. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is blasphemy or whatever, but I think Bride of Frankenstein, I like that movie a lot more than the original Frankenstein. Oh no, absolutely. Bride of Frankenstein, I think is the masterpiece. Like I think Frankenstein um, is great. I think it's like, it's a huge jump ahead of what Dracula was. Um, but I think it's Bride of Frankenstein where things are just like, there's so much like just being thrown at it. And one of the things about these movies that I love, it also kind of makes them fun to go back and watch after watching a lot of the low budget stuff that normally, you know, I watch and, you know, we talk about here is just the level of production value is so high um, that like not until like the 1980s would you see a horror movie uh, with sets like this and with um, these set pieces. It's just really incredible. And of course they look amazing now because they're like the crown jewels and universals, like their library. So they've been so well preserved and restored. Um, also, I guess if anyone listening doesn't know, they're all available to stream on Peacock. Um, so yeah, yeah if you're looking that for was them, how I watched the third one. I was um, thinking, cause I, I've had a lot of projects and stuff I've had to do at the house and like, how am I going to get in these three movies before we record? And, um, I usually, you know, you gave me the, the, the box set to watch on Blu-ray, which is only, I can only watch like in my living room and mm. blah, blah, blah. Long story short, like I got to watch um, Son of Frankenstein on Peacock last night. And I was just like, hell yeah, like in on my iPad in bed, which was That's perfect. Great. So, um, so good. Yeah. It was, I love, I was just like, oh my God, these are all on Peacock. So everybody out there, you don't even have to pay for Peacock because I don't. And it, yeah. all you got to do is watch like a couple bullshit commercials every like 15 minutes, whatever. But yeah, totally all the Frankenstein movies are free right now. So go for it. Yeah. So this, at this point too, I guess I should also mention, this is the first horror sequel. Okay. Like now we take it for granted. Like Michael Myers is always going to come back, you know, Freddy Krueger, you know, like all these, um, these killers, you know, even if we see them die in the last movie, they, they get revived. This is the beginning of that. Uh, this is where it all starts. So in, in this movie, you get, uh, you know, we're back 
kind of basically where the last movie ended, where they're back at the windmill and it's kind of burning and they end up finding, you know, Henry and he's kind of like carted off and then the monster's alive. And then they have, they've kind of recast some people, but the little girl, Maria's parents are the first people to really see the monster and he quickly kills them both. <laughs> and I love yeah. that he just like throws them down. It's like, Oh, nope, they're dead. They're gone. Um, and I just, I totally love that. You do have this woman, Una O'Connor, who shows up in this movie. She's also in The Invisible Man. She was, James Whale really loved her. And she plays like the annoying villager who's constantly caterwauling and just like, blah, blah, blah. I hate her so like, much. Yeah, she's so annoying. Um, yeah, it's it's really crazy. Um, yeah, we have a new Elizabeth too. Um, she's kind of also a little bit of a nut, um, but she's now like, English is very beautiful. But then at this point is when uh, Pretorius shows up and he is so amazing. He's um, yeah. Ernest Thessinger is, you know, he was one of James Whale's like uh, he was one of his mentors, uh, like the way that Pretorius is Henry's mentor back at the school. But he's like such a fucking crazy nut. He's both like totally insane. Very, 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 very gay. Um, but also just so witty and funny. I love like, there's just so many little lines he has and just like little like quips and whatever. And it's, it's the perfect amount of comedy later on when pretty much. Yeah. I was gonna say the whole scene where he's, uh, showing that dude, like all of his like small people. Oh yeah. Like just that whole like five minutes. You're like this, if this guy didn't get the Oscar this year, it was rigged. Like if there even was an Oscar back then. He like mentions well, just the stuff he yeah, because he creates his little people and he's showing them. Yes, and um, and it's fun. I love that scene. I know there's some. I know some writers and some people who like think that it's just kind of too silly and they shouldn't have. They should have cut it. But I think it's awesome. Um, well, I loved it, and I was just like, that's so crazy that they pulled that effect off in 1934 or five or yeah. whatever it was. It's so great. Um, but he talks about, you know, cause creating life and how he left the, the college that he taught at because he knew too much. And, you know, he makes that comment about how he had to create his own life, but he does it from seed. And you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> what is, that just sounds so just dirty and crazy. You know, instead of Henry making things from dead bodies, he's just, I don't know, making his little test tube babies. Um, yeah, it's. So crazy. Uh, he also gives the you know the big toast like to the new world of gods and monsters. He has that thing too where he's he's like, oh, I hope you like a little gin. It's my one vice, you know. And then he repeats it later on when he when the monster finds him and he's having his little picnic on the in the you know the tomb on the grave. And he's mm-hmm. smoking a cigar and he's like, oh, I hope you want one. It's my only vice. Um, yeah, yeah. I fucking love Pretorius. He's just so funny. Oh, but as far as like the comedy. There's a lot of like his dialogue and lots of little things that happen that are like really, I think are just still really funny and just, you know, have this little wit to it. That is so much more effective to me than when the universal horror movies started to straight up be comedies and do like the um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and, and those movies. By the way, is that any good? Um, I, there's, there's stuff in it that is good. I, I'm not as in love with it as a lot of people. A lot of people love it. think it's the best horror comedy ever. Um, and I'm like, it's okay. The best thing about it is you get Bela Lugosi as Dracula. It's the only second time you play Dracula. Uh, yeah, so I listened. Yeah, the, the Important Cinema Club, that pod that I listened to, mm-hmm. those film geeks in Canada, they were saying, like, you know, it was kind of like a 
horror, just like stuff that like people don't really know about. They're like, oh, these are some findings. And they were saying like Frankenstein meet Abbott and Costello. That's like a sneaky good one. And it was in that box set that you gave me. I'm like, I wonder if I should put that in. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people love it. And I think it's, um, there is stuff in it I like, but for me, that comedy isn't as funny. Um, I'd way rather have like some whatever. So, something a, a little more wry, I guess. Frankenstein not... meets the Three Stooges, or Frankenstein meets the Marx Brothers. Yeah, it's along those. Lines. I mean, the Marx Brothers that one would be awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just not like I guess. Uh, yeah, I just don't think Abbott and Costello are funny. So I guess that same. That there, but I, I also don't think I, I, it's hard for me to find any like comedy that's like truly going for comedy uh, funny that dates back that far. Like mm-hmm. I think that the second like. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein is funny because like they're mostly reliant. It's like that perfect balance of horror and comedy. It's like yeah. 90% horror, 10% comedy. And that's like that like sweet spot. If, if you start teetering the scale, it's almost like, you know, 50, 50 or 60, 40. It's like, that's too much in one direction. It's when, yeah, I think when, for me, whenever you see, have people that are trying so hard to make you laugh, um, yes. it just, it kind of kills it, especially with the, the love, the mugging and a lot of the, um, you know, some people, you know, can work like, you know, Groucho Marx is always great, but it's also, he's a lot more verbal humor and it's a lot funnier. Um, yeah, I just, I think, I think this movie, the, the humor, the humor hits just right. And I love it. Same with Son of Frankenstein. There's some really great stuff, but Bell Lugosi in particular is, uh, really hilarious in that movie. Um, but I love that, you know, this point this is when Frankenstein, he's kind of like off wandering around and he runs across like that girl and then she just gets terrified and he goes to help her. Then these people think that he's like attacking her. And it's really funny too, because he's even like, Oh no, no. Like you, you can sympathize with him because you can see that he's like, I just walked in on this girl. She's the one who just flipped out and fell off this cliff. And he's constantly in these situations where it's like, he's just trying to fucking get by and you know, things are just like really fucked up. But the villagers all like they, they find him, they hunt him down. And there's this really beautiful scene where, the set is it's he's in a forest now, but in like the forest he was in earlier, it's all just like burnt out trees. So it's just these poles with no branches on it. And it's really crazy. And then the, the, um, you know, villagers all find him and they basically crucify him where they like put him on this big pole and they try to like burn him alive. And this movie, one of the things that kind of was getting into, into a little bit of trouble is people were really concerned about the blasphemy. Um, I mean, the first movie had that too. That's why they had the, you know, edit the line about you know being a god um but this there was a lot of like little references to him being kind of a christ-like figure and there's even going to be a scene later on when he goes to the cemetery and he sees christ like a, a crucifix and he tries to help him off you know or he doesn't get it he thinks he's another um you know kind of monster like himself um yeah it's it's really great it's a beautiful beautiful scene and they they get him they take him to put him in a dungeon he escapes but he later he ends up running into this hermit. And the hermit scene, it's funny because, yeah, it's like I always just think of Young Frankenstein um, because it's the the scene they use in Young Frankenstein with Gene Hackman where he goes and he meets the old man. And this is actually in, that whole segment is basically in the book as well. Um, and that's where Frankenstein learns how to talk. He ends up finding this blind man. Um, and this is a really kind of a... a cute scene there's a lot of stuff in there like he teaches them to like smoke and drink um 
yeah, I don't know. I just love all of that. John Carradine shows up for a minute. That's also kind of great, like him kind of popping his head. And he was obviously like another horror icon, did tons of st- stuff up into the 80s. Um, yeah, I love all of that. Um, yeah, and then that whole scene when Pretorius and Dwight Fry, they're like grave robbing, and then Frankenstein shows up, and he just like, they're hanging out together, and there's so many good lines. But my favorite, and it's been quoted a lot, but it's when... Frankenstein, the monster, is talking to Pretorius and he's talking about, uh, you know, just being made from, you know, dead things. So they're basically trying to put together the bride of Frankenstein um, and they're trying to steal bones and whatnot. And he's just like, love, li- uh, no, I love dead, hate living. And it's, <laughs> it's great. Um, and he's just like, oh, you're smart for your generation. It's great. Um, yeah, so then... Trying to think of what, yeah, what gets. Well, I do love the, the. I love the whole deal with the blind man because I. I love it, like, um, just their disabilities and how they're coming together as one. Totally, it's great, and and I like how like Frankenstein's basically been misunderstood his entire existence. Like he didn't mean to throw that girl in the water and kill her in the first one, and he's not meaning to do half the shit yeah. he's doing in the second one. It's just like, look, like I know I look like a big scary monster. But I'm this like big cuddly teddy bear. It's just nobody's giving yeah, me totally. a chance. And of course, it takes the fucking blind man to be like, this guy's okay. But as soon as oh, like yeah. those townspeople come in and go like, no, like everything goes awry. And you're just oh, like, totally. God damn it, this guy can't catch a break. I know he's got the brain of a fucking uh of, of whatever prisoner. <laughs> an abnormal whatever. brain. An abnormal brain or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. But I do love his makeup in the second one because, you know, the first one ends with the windmill mm. laboratory catching fire. So, like, he has, like, those burn marks in the second one. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's, it's hot shit. I love it's that great, they like, even added that to it. Yeah. Yeah, they did such a good job with that. I love it. Um, but what I even love the more, the what I even love the more, whatever, Alec, um, <laughs> is the bride uh, when oh, yeah. she finally comes alive. I might be jumping ahead too soon. Well, so a little bit. I'll no, it's, it's perfect because yeah, like when they end up, you know, yeah, they're getting her. She's so fucking great. I didn't know that that because like when she, which is great because I love the callbacks in this movie. Like in this one, like it, it's alive, it's alive, and they, you know, they do it every time. Yeah, and it's like you're you're waiting for it. You're like, say it, motherfucker, say it. So when uh, by the time you know, son of Frankenstein comes around, it's as soon as like the sun says it, you're like, yeah, like it's totally. Awesome. But yeah, when they do it again with the bride, it's like it's that's alive, a, it's alive. a beautiful scene. I think it's even better than the, than the one in the first one. Like the way oh, absolutely they, they cut absolutely the together. And you just yes. really see the production values in that movie. You're like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. So great. And then w- when she comes on, you're just like, first of all, smoke show. Like, yeah. if I'm ever going to fuck anyone that's dead, it's going to be her. <laughs> and uh, that hair, that like Marge Simpson hair with the lightning bolt, uh, oh, yeah. it's so iconic. I just didn't know that they were like taking like people. I mean, it, you know, it, it's just like it goes to show like you just got to dig deeper into anything i'm sure it happens with every subject but especially with film it's just like oh that's really dope it's like well it's because that person stole that from that and then that person stole that from that and before you know it it's like a vcr tape that's been you know you're recording a recording of a recording 
And then by the time that you see like whatever the, that shit is, it's just been recorded over so many times. It's just so like blah and whatever. But when you go to like the actual source, you're like, Oh, that's what they were getting at. Well, this is yeah. like clearly like oh, it's, scripture. It's so, yeah, it's so dope. And especially for being in the thirties, I don't know. I just like when I watch stuff like this, like um, I I didn't I I haven't give horror that far back a shot. Um, You showed me the Island of Lost Souls like literally a week before we started covering this series with Frankenstein that I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea that they could like I've seen freaks. Oh, yeah. But I I don't know. This was. Yeah, the Bride of Frankenstein and Island of Lost Souls. I'm like, this is, you know, this is fucking chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. Like, I don't yeah. know what to tell you guys. Like, it's, this is crazy. It's so great. She's so good at the Bride. I love uh, how she just hisses and just like yes. her crazy, like, you know, it's just a cool concept. Um, yeah. And I, she's I, literally on screen for like two minutes. Yeah. And then the movie's over and it's perfect. You're like, that's exactly. It's just like, bam, hit you with it, and then credits. Or not yeah. even credits, it's just the end. And well, you're I like, love it too, like, this perfect. is like when he, because she rejects, you know, the monster again, like everybody else, you know, the only person who could maybe, the person who was literally created just to, like, you know, be his friend, to be his companion, and even she's not down. There was a, in one of the versions of the script, they changed, because in this, in the movie, both Henry and Elizabeth survive, and you know Frankenstein shoots him away as he's about to destroy everything, and he's like, "We belong dead." But in one of the other, I think the other scripts, or they might have even shot some of it, uh, when Elizabeth is being kidnapped in the movie, it's, it's supposed to be that they kill Elizabeth and they t- steal her heart and they put her heart into the bride, and so then there was this thing where you know she's revived. She's not in love with Frankenstein, or she's not in love with the monster. She's in love with like Doctor Frankenstein. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's such a cool idea. I wish they could have done that, but I think it was just a little too gruesome. They wanted to have some sort of like happy-ish ending. Uh, okay. So yeah, so then they escape, and then you know the monster destroys everything all over again, and then they die, and it's over. Um, but yeah, I think that movie is so excellent. It's like it it moves. I mean, it's again like a seventy-five minute movie. It moves along a really great clip. Uh, it looks beautiful. There's a lot of like funny, witty things in it. Uh, Totally love it. Uh, well, yeah, like watching the original Frankenstein, I'm just like giving. I'm like, okay, well, this is really groundbreaking. It's 1931. They have constraints. Blah blah blah. But it's not something that I'm like, wow. I'm like so into. Yeah. It's. It doesn't feel like homework, but it's somewhere in between of those yeah, two I things that I just mentioned. And then I watch Bride of Frankenstein, and I'm like enthralled. Yeah. Like the, I, I think there's like a four or five year hiatus between the first and the second one. Yeah. And I don't know what the, I mean, the advances in probably the production value of like the money that they got to make the second one and whatever they figured out with, you know, lighting and sound and sound shooting. definitely improved sound. Definitely. Fast. Like that was one of those things and not just in the recording. Cause the recording did get much better, much faster. But also those early sound films can suffer because they also had a lot of dialogue coaches. And so there was this kind of style of speech that people were being trained to speak as. So you have people giving very slow, 
very weird line delivery. I think because they thought that maybe if he sp- spoke slower, that it would, um, you know, it, you could understand it. Uh, not really the case. And you'll see a lot of these movies where people just talk really slow and it's very weird and the acting's really crazy. But then by the mid 30s, uh, you start getting all of that like rapid fire dialogue. A lot of that, I think, also mm-hmm. was because of the gangster movies, like that. The gangster movies from Warner Brothers. Listen up, see, yeah, yeah hold totally. It was like bam, 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 bam. It was like a Tommy gun, and so then dialogue started getting really fast, and it started picking up the pace a lot, uh, which really helped because some of those movies, the early ones, get really sluggish. But yeah, definitely by Bright of Frankenstein, things are like moving along at such a great clip. It's dynamite, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that would normally be like it. But then I, why I extended it all the way to Son of Frankenstein. Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it, in between this period, because you know things go in like trends, they come and go constantly. Uh, there's a big slump in horror movies, basically almost right after Bride of Frankenstein, um, that lasted for about three years. Um, people weren't really getting a lot of work. The depression kind of hit like another new low, and people were kind of just all flocking to theaters to go see people like Shirley Temple, Mickey Rooney, Spencer Tracy was really big. Um, there's the big box office poison list had come out which included all these like now iconic people like Catherine Hepburn and Fred Astaire and Marlena Dietrich and Greta Garbo whatever all those people all had like comebacks later on but people just didn't want like horror they didn't really want you know flashy glamour they wanted things that were kind of cute and maybe down to earth and uh more relatable but what happened is around 1938 it was one of the theaters it was a theater in New York I can't remember the name of it they randomly started doing a double bill. It was a triple bill originally of Dracula, Frankenstein, and then Son of Kong. And it was like doing gangbusters. There's like lines around the block. People wanted to go out and see them. So that kind of gave Universal the idea like, well, maybe we should like do another big, you know, like Frankenstein movie. So James Whale wasn't available. His career had kind of started to peter out whether or not he left or whatever. It's kind of, up for debate. I've heard different reasons of why he kind of stopped working. Um, so they got this guy, Roland V. Lee, to come in and, and direct this movie. They were able to get Karloff back to play the monster. It's the last time he really played the monster. Um, he did like a little, mean little cameos here and there in the makeup, but he didn't really appear as the monster in any of the other movies that came after this. Um, but this movie is also so crazy. I love the set design of this movie. It's super like German expressionistic, but also kind of like strangely modernist. It's that stuff is really cool. They end up getting the lighting blew me away. Yeah. Like how everything's lit, all the shadows, stuff like that. Exactly. I was like, it was astounding. Yeah. It's so cool. And this one, uh, you don't get a whole lot of the monster. Like he kind of goes back to being mute, um, but all the other people like in the movie are so colorful and so crazy um that it really it really stands out so in this one basil rathbone um who later i think partly because of this movie had kind of a long horror career he also uh was famous for playing sherlock holmes like almost immediately after this for like there were like like a dozen there were tons of these uh sherlock holmes movies that he did um i just want to pause for a second and i just want to um just everyone to bask in the name of Basil Rathbone. <laughs> it's also, so... before we get into this one, um, the uh, Frankenstein, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, the first and second film, that's the only research I did do. I was like, oh, what's this guy's uh, story? Yeah. 
uh, dead at 37 alcoholism. You're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. He, he was a a tragic figure. He like, apparently even at the time, like they would, um, their stories of them needing to kind of prop him up, like to do like reverse shots for other people. Cause he'd be too wasted on the set. Um, so nuts to be dead at 37 of alcoholism. I know. It's crazy. I think he was also, um, I mean, a lot of these guys were also vets from the First World War, and I think some of that shit fucked him up. Um, Hell yeah. You know, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of stories that he was either gay or bisexual, and that probably didn't help. Um, you know, just there's a lot of a lot of stuff. A lot of those guys had, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of shit. But yeah, so Colin Clive was dead. So even if they, you know, wanted to, they wouldn't be able to bring him for the, the next movie. Um, this movie too is funny. I mean, this yeah, for Young Frankenstein, this sets up so much of the stuff where he is the you know it's supposed to be like maybe twenty five years after the, the things that have happened in the previous movie. Again, like you have to tell like, <laughs> about the weird what time period is this? Um, mm-hmm. It's really strange, but it's supposed to be like a generation later. And uh, you know, Basil Rathbone, he's Wolf Frankenstein, and he kind of goes back. Uh, you know, to the castle and the villagers all kind of meet him. The other people in the cast that rounded out. So Bela Lugosi uh, plays Igor for the first time. We actually get an Igor and that name is so associated with that part that usually even in cartoons and other stuff, it's like, Oh, it's Igor uh, or in young Frankenstein. He's Igor. Uh, Igor. Yeah. And, and I get oh, that and the cop. Yes. Yeah. So the inspector is Lionel Atwell and the, he was also like a crazy, he was able to jump and do like more, you know, non-horror stuff. But he also did a lot of crazy horror movies. He had a crazy personal life as well, where he was involved in a huge sex scandal because, um, yeah, he was having all these like orgies and stuff that, you know, people were <laughs> pretty scandalized by in the 30s and 40s. Uh, Lionel My man. Apple, it's funny. He was the guy, um, I don't know if you remember the movie murder at the zoo where he, oh, yeah. he's the main dude who's like going around killing people. And he's so good in that movie too. But this movie is the inspector. This is one of the reasons if you like young Frankenstein, you have to see this movie because uh, you know, he plays the one armed inspector that apparently his arm was ripped out by the monster. And he, he describes it so gruesomely. He's like, Oh, you, you're not likely to forget when your arm is ripped out by its roots you know? Yeah, when he said that, like by its roots, I'm like, "Yo, yeah." That, you just immediately imagine just someone literally ripping your completely functioning arm off of your body. Yeah, like you're pulling a weed. Yeah, it's so, so graphic. That's it's funny. such a great description. Like that's what, like one of the best sentences in horror. Oh, totally. It's sometimes thinking people talking about stuff is a, a letdown, but if you can describe it well enough. Um, it's totally effective and that's so great. And he's also like, he plays that part so well because I love, you know, he has the kind of mechanical arm, but it's so funny how he's using it. Like you think in young Frankenstein, cause they, they use that in that movie too. There's so many things that you would almost think would be the comedy thing they're doing in that, but the, he does it in this movie. Like when he's playing darts with Basil Rathbone and it's crazy because Basil Rathbone, if you watch that scene, he's just not even looking at the, you know, the first time he's not even looking at the dartboard. He's just looking at the inspector and he's just fucking nailing it. Um, mm-hmm. And then when the inspector goes, he stabs all of the darts into his arm. Um, and he does the same thing in Young Frankenstein too. But it's just like, it's mm-hmm. so funny and just 
crazy. But I love when he does the whole thing where he's moving his arm around really dramatically, but he's polishing his monocle <laughs> that's in the like in that hand. It's so great. And he's just like, yeah, he is so good in this movie. Um, also, have you ever wanted brandy more in your life? <laughs> yeah. They just constantly keep going like, would you like a brandy? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, yeah. give me one. Like, every time, I've never, I don't think I've ever had good brandy. I know I haven't had good brandy in my life. But after hearing that, I'm like, all right, yeah, I don't yes. want Christian brothers. Exactly. I'll take anything else. I know. Give me some nice, fine, whatever old cask you have in the castle. I'm sure it's fine. It's old enough. Oh, yeah. It's um, going to work. So good. But I love my favorite is I love uh, Bill Lugosi in this movie where he is so and he had kind of gotten the shaft forever. Like even when he made Dracula, like he was underpaid, like he was paid like a quarter of what the lame other lead in the movie, David Manners, is paid. Um, and he just didn't like it just his career was was tough. Uh, he had to work hard and you know, just got very little out of all of it. But this role, he chews the scenery so deliciously, it's amazing. The whole scene, so the the big kind of like main plot through this movie is that um, you know, the younger son of Frankenstein shows up and he finds the monster, but Bela Lugosi's Igor has been keeping him kind of around so that he can enact vengeance on the people who hanged him. And Bill Lugosi, Igor, he's like a hunchback, but he also has a broken neck from being hanged. And there's the whole scene where he's with the inspector, and he's talking to all the different, like, the jurors who had him hanged. And he's just, like, just being so, like, just sleazy. And he's just like, oh, you can't hang me again. Like, I can fucking get you. And then he goes and he coughs in that guy's face. And he's like, oh, <laughs> sorry, I had a bone in my throat. And then he knocks on it. And it's just the bone yeah. at the end of his throat. I fucking love it. It's so yeah. good. And I love, there's the other thing that I really love about that is when, how he controls the monster is he plays this crazy flute. And the first time you just think it's just the music. It's just like, whatever, just the non-diegetic music just happening. And then when you see that he's the one actually playing it and you see the crazy flute he's playing, um, it's hilarious. It's like, it is He's like a snake charmer. Oh, totally. It's so great. Um, I just, whenever I think of Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff together, I immediately think of Bill Murray and Ed Wood at the funeral where he goes, now call Boris Karloff a cocksucker. (laughs) Totally. It's, yeah, so great. I just, I love them. I mean, I love them equally or just so much. And then just seeing them together is always like such a perk. Um, but yeah, I just love it. But I also love Basil Rathbone's performance too because he's so tightly wound that it's again like it's it's a lightly comic performance the whole way through that kind of even looks forward to like the you know, like obviously Gene Wilder is going to be much bigger and way more pointedly comedic. Um, but this like he's just like oh uh, hey darling how are you doing or whatever he's just always in these like fucked up situations. Um, I just I totally I like how positive he is. Yeah. He remains positive, like, the entire film. I just oh, yeah. love he's just like, well, you know, my dad was a kook, but, I mean, he was a genius. And if if his assistant didn't get that stupid brain, then things would be a lot different. It's like, oh, well, of course the townspeople aren't going to like us. My last name is Frankenstein. It's like, oh, of course this inspector just keeps on sticking his nose in our business, but he oh. just wants to know what's going on. I'm like, man, this guy is, like, 
like he only listens to Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's so good. And he's like, yeah, I, yeah, all of it. It's just for me, like this movie, even though it's the longest by like a half an hour of the other movies, um, it just goes by so fast. There's just so many little like little moments and little just things that are just, you know, great. The, again, yeah, we were talking a bit about the way the look, like the production value of this movie is so great. And the weird little details, like the heads, the beds of, that need to be head to head and at the weird angles and that crazy staircase in the main chamber is like, so it's totally like something out of the, doc, the cabinet, of Dr. Caligari. Um, it's just so cool. Um, yeah. I just, I love this movie a lot. It's just a lot of fun. It was kind of, for me, the best one to kind of go out on um, the, this movie ended up becoming when it came out in 1939 it became like another really big hit for universal. Um, this is weird. Like these revivals, like it was a, uh, horror comeback, but really it was, you know, the, the first big boom was only eight years earlier. Um, I guess just how fast the trends kept moving and circling back around. But then, um, mm-hmm. after this, then universal kept like going in and making more, uh, you know, horror movies. They started doing like the most, of the big monsters already been kind of created. Then they had the wolf a little bit afterwards and they did ghost of Frankenstein with, um, that one had Lon Chaney Jr. as the monster because he had been a, a, a hit as the Wolfman. Then in the and that one is kind of crazy because Bela Lugosi comes back as Igor and then he gets his brain transplanted into the monster. So then in the movie after that, um, I think it's Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. That one is actually Bela Lugosi playing the monster. And then after that one, he doesn't show up. And then it's, they get this guy Glenn Strange to play him for a couple movies. Um, and those movies are all like fine. Like they're kind of like the monster rally movies where they have all of the monsters show up. Um, and there's, there's stuff in them that, that's fun. That kind of leads into Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein where it's like, they're kind of at this point, you know, they're just, they're not scary. Um, you know, I think even by the end of the thirties, like people weren't really scared by these movies. They were just, you know, they had other stuff, you know? And so by the end of the forties, they were definitely much more like comedic and people didn't really know what to do with horror movies because horror movies really weren't doing well after the war. Um, not until hammer came out with curse of Frankenstein. And then that like started the huge boom across the globe. Um, and then that lasted well until like the eighties. Um, so what do you take, if you could take one to the grave with you, hammer horror or the universal horror? Um, I mean, it's tough. I would almost maybe say universal. I mean, I just love, you know, I, I love a lot of these movies, but it's also like they, they do different things. So it's almost an like apples or oranges. Okay. Um, How about um, Gods and Monsters? Is that movie any good? It is good. Actually, I just rewatched it recently. And I'm not really into, um, you know, a lot of those biopics. I mean, you watch it and it's like, there's definitely stuff where it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of an Oscar bait movie. Um, but it's a really good one. Ian McKellen is really great. He plays James Whale. Uh, Brendan Fraser is good too. It's not like he's good because he looks the part and he plays it just well enough. Like Brendan Fraser's performance isn't going to like win you anything, but he's um, he does exactly what that part needs to be. Um, yeah, I was watching. Is he, a lot of- is he Doctor Frankenstein? No, he's well. So the Gods and Monsters is um, it's kind of a fictionalized version of the end of James Whale's life. Um, hmm. where, and Brendan Fraser is this hunky gardener that works for him who kind of resembles the monster. 
And so they kind of have this, their relationship and how that develops. Um, and I hadn't seen it. I actually just rewatched it this week because I hadn't seen it probably since it came out in theaters. It's interesting. Another thing about that movie. So it was directed by Bill Condon, who also did like Chicago. He started um, early on, like working in like low budget horror movies. And he was also uh, on deck to be the director of, you know, they were a few years ago when they were trying to do the monster verse, the universal is trying to reboot the monsters. Oh yeah. And, um, and it, it crashed quickly when the mummy came out, uh, you know, with, with Tom Cruise. And that was like a huge disaster. Um, so they, they totally scrapped that, but Bill Condon was going to do the bride of Frankenstein when that was going. Um, and then they, they've now, they teamed up with bloom house and now they are doing it. The first one was the invisible man, which I think they did a great job with. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I think pleasantly was, surprised by that. Yeah. I'm like, that was a really great idea of how they reinvented it. And that was also like what, made the kind of hammer movie special is the way they kind of re reframed those movies in their own, uh, their own way. Um, yeah, but that was, yeah, really great. Also rewatched yep, Frankenstein. I mean, I was going through all of them recently and, uh, like in the past week getting ready for this and yeah, they're all, they're all great. Young Frankenstein is so good. Um, it'd be fun. I know I'm going to, I'm definitely going to watch that this week now that I've got the first three fresh in my brain. The, yeah, there's so many little like jokes and things that you wouldn't pick up on. Um, but it's funny because Boris Karloff's daughter, apparently Young Frankenstein is her favorite movie. Um, and she's just like, yeah, I would have loved if Boris could have lived long enough to see it because you know, he died probably about seven years before the movie came out. Um, but yeah, I think that it's just such a great tribute and it's, it's great. Like I was watching some of the special features and Mel Brooks talks about like how that was you know, this really big movie for him as a little kid. And he was terrified in the summertime and, you know, growing up in New York, he's like, uh, you know, grew up in like Williamsburg. And he said, you know, in the summertime, it'd be so hot that people would go sleep outside on the, uh, the fire escapes. But he was too terrified because Frankenstein was, the monster was going to get him. And his mother gave this whole speech about like, well, look, you know, the Frankenstein, he lives, where does he live? You know, he lives in like Europe. He'd have to get on a train. He'd have to get on a boat. He'd have to get on the subway to show up here just to get on the fire escape to kill you. Like, you know, this is stupid. Um, but he was just so into it. And Gene Wilder, yeah, was a huge fan. So then they wrote it together and made it happen. But it's it's a hilarious movie regardless. But especially I think if you have seen the movies, um, there's just so many little subtle things they put through that is just so dynamite. It's so great. Um, yeah. Gods and monsters is really great. I also uh, went back and watched Tim Burton's original Frankenweenie. I watched that just yesterday and I hadn't seen that in years. Have you ever seen that? I saw the, the 90 minute version that he did. Oh yeah. That uh, one. I, so yeah. I just watched that one. I had never seen that one until yesterday, but uh, mm-hmm. the original like, this is a 30 minute short and it's so great. I don't know. It's probably on, Disney plus. Um, and it's, it's such a great movie and there's so many little things in it. Like a lot of direct references to Frankenstein, obviously, but then um, even the cast in that movie is just so incredible. It's like Shelley Duvall and Daniel Stern and Paul Bartel and even Sofia Coppola when she was known as Domino, like she's in it, the kid from the never any story. And it's the perfect 30 minute film. Um, yeah. It's cool. It's great. And then, yeah, I, then I watched the the animated Frankenweenie, which is also, like, so great. I totally had not – I'd avoided it. 
because I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I love the short, and it just seems like the kind of the Disney rehash like they've been doing with these other Tim Burton movies, like Alice in Wonderland and whatever. But when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is like a total return to form for Tim Burton. It's like there's so many of those little like, um, you know, Tim Burtonisms, and even just being taking place in those kind of like California suburban row houses, and you know, it really reminded me of like Edward Scissorhands and. Uh, and that stuff. And it was great. Like it was after hearing on the PCP, I think they both put it or one of them put it on their end of the decade list. And uh, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that um, wraps up uh, Frankenstein. The Frankenstein. The first three. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, next time on the podcast, we will do our all night horror movie marathon and our, but before we do that full podcast, we are going to release a preview of the films that we will be covering for that. So you can get the jump on what you need to watch for the special Halloween podcast. If you feel like doing that. Also, we have a Patreon for $5 a month. You can get dozens of episodes that you can't find anywhere else and this week's episode will be about our horror findings that we discovered this year and watched for the first time ever that we think are worth talking about on the patreon to let you guys know what you should probably check out i think i did a better job selling that just now than i did at the top of this program (laughs) so i'm just gonna end it on that and drop the mic so until then let's just keep it purely casual bye